There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed. And that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Before we get started with this episode of Bench with Bubba, I'd like to let you know that uh, we are sponsored by Draft. Draft.com, Draft in your app store. Great way to play daily fantasy sports. Go check them out if you're new to it. They do snake-style drafts just the way you like it. So you don't have to worry about ownership. That simple. Three-man, five-man, ten-man, so on and so forth. They also do auction drafts and, most importantly, best ball drafts. They're kicking it up in full force for the NFL right now. All different prize levels, including a $25 entry, million-dollar grand prize, best ball draft. And if you're new to draft, use promo code SD Sports. SD is in dog sports for a free $3 entry into any tournament of your choice. Go to draft.com, draft in your app store, promo code SD Sports. If you get a rating and review on iTunes, I'd much appreciate it. It would help the podcast go out a long, long ways. But now, Bench with Bubba, episode 180 with Mike Chalella of Fantrax HQ, talking recent MLB news for fantasy baseball, the TGFBI Week 12 Fab Report, and a deep dive into bullpens and potential save candidates down the line. everybody to another episode of Benched with Bubba episode 180 going to recap your TGFBI week 12 fab talk some recent news and much much more more importantly to me it's almost mid-season we're talking bullpens and in order to talk bullpens we got another friend from fantrax.com fantraxhq.com their new fancy baseball twitter handle go check that out but you can find on twitter at the mick 23 mick chalella how you doing man i'm awesome man thanks for having me Oh, thanks for joining uh, joining me. I always tell people that, you know, I should always just hit record before guests come on air because we actually just talked for a good, you know, 10 minutes about just yep. stuff in general. It was, <laughs> it was a lot of fun and had not a ton to do about baseball, but uh, I'm really looking forward to this interview. Before we get started, why don't you let everybody know, like, what you got going on over at Fantrax and just everything about, you know, what's coming up for you as well. 
Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at the Mick two three. And as you just mentioned, we got a lot of stuff going on on Fantrax HQ. We do have some new fancy Twitter handles uh, for MLB, NFL, and NBA. Uh, so you can check those out, which are very sports specific. Um, I write a piece on bullpens every week and another piece on rest of season rankings. And we're also gearing up for football. So we've got a ton of stuff going on on our draft kit. And yeah, we've got a ton of good stuff going on over there. Awesome. Yeah. I, there's always like when fan tracks really got going again, two years ago, maybe two and a half years yep. ago, at least. Yep. It was really fun to see the growth because like, I, I've gotten to know you over the last on Twitter and everything over like the last six months to maybe even a year. It's kind of, it all right. gets cloudy after a while, but <laughs> um, like I've known Nate Dawkins since I like, I joined Twitter. I've yeah. gotten to know Eric Cross. Obviously Joey P is the man. Like yes, you guys is. have, an awesome group over there so it's really cool to watch it grow because there's so many like it's kind of what we talked about earlier there's so many like niches in the industry that like right. everyone goes to like fan graphs or you go to espn yahoo so on. but there's so many other really good things out there that it's good to see you guys really busting your ear in and making it grow because there's a yeah, lot of stuff that and- kind of starts up and doesn't get there Absolutely. And yeah, I think over the last few months, we've really kind of hit our stride. And yeah, things are things are happening. It's good. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes. And, and Mick does a lot of uh, bullpen work over there at baseball, as he was talking about. He does a lot of other work, but we're going to really get into that here after our, our news part, because the revolving door that is a major league bullpen right now is insanity for a fantasy owner. And your your weekly report's good. So we'll, we'll really get into that here in a minute. But let's Let's get to some recent news like I do every week. And I always make the joke. And sadly, it's usually about IL stuff. This week, not so much. Um, first thing, it's not even on the outline, but this is a simple one. It, when I opened MLB trade rumors to look at the Edwin news, the top headline right now is Dallas Keuchel to start Friday for the Atlanta Braves. And Ooh, you're breaking news to me. Yeah, it was news to me. Literally. I just <laughs> opened the page. I'm like, well, we got him. We can't not talk about this now. Um, I was really kind of – okay, I'll, I'll give you the whole backstory. TGFBI, I drafted him in like the 26th round thinking, okay, he's going to be missing a month. He'll be here. Like, they're going to sign. No big deal. Right. Then after like a month and a half, I'm like, I got with all the injuries, no injury reserve list. I, mm-hmm. I got to drop him. He's gone. So I don't feel as bad now because I really am concerned about him in Atlanta. I've asked a lot of guys this because it varies on a guy like Dallas Keuchel. What are your thoughts on Dallas Keuchel? You know, missing all the time, pitching in Atlanta, like going forward as a fantasy baseball starting pitcher, What's your thoughts on Keiko? I have to be honest. I don't really like him very much. Um, I actually mentioned this in my piece a week or two ago. Um, you know, he's sort of a guy where everything has to break right. And, you know, he's obviously an extreme ground ball pitcher. And that works well when you have the Astros defense behind you, but not so much in Atlanta. Um, you know, pretty much every infielder in that infield has a negative uh, UZR or at least, you know, maybe a share, a hair over average. But for the most part, there's some pretty bad fielders in that infield. And I just think he has to have pinpoint control, which is going to take some time to, to get back to those levels. And I'm just, I'm just not a fan. To me, I think he's more of a streamer than an every week starter, at least for the short term. Uh, maybe once he gets in his groove, he can be an every week starter. But I think for now, you just kind of have to plug and play him on a good matchup. Yeah, and that's kind of what I'm thinking, and, and that's why I kind of got bummed he went to Atlanta because that division outside of playing maybe the Marlins, the Mets sometimes, but they'll even surprise you now with Big Meat Pete and those guys over there. Like, it's it's not a good division just to be running around in. 
Yeah, and even uh, the Nationals, you know, the Nationals smash lefties too. So, yeah, it's not going to be that easy for them, I don't think. Yeah, so interesting landing spot to say the least. But that was the the, the crux of the whole thing is just kind of broke a little bit ago. He's starting this Friday. So it's probably too late to put him in a lineup. I probably wouldn't put him in a lineup, to be honest with you. I'd probably wait and see, see how the week goes. But uh, let's talk the trade that took place uh, early. Like I think it was Friday and then got finalized Friday night or Saturday morning. E5, Edwin Encarnacion. Yes. Heading over to the Bronx. Just when they say the Bronx Bombers, they do not mess around with this. They are not kidding. No, they are not. It is ridiculous. (laughs) And like, there's two parts to this. It's Edwin, he's going to be there, first base DH, but it sends Clint Frazier down also. Starting with Edwin, just what's your kind of thoughts on him, you know, being in that lineup? Most of the time, it's a pretty potent, powerful lineup now. Well, I certainly don't think the move to New York will hurt him. Um, But I also don't think we should go too crazy. We're already talking about a guy who's leading the league in home runs. So it's not as if this is like a buy low opportunity or anything like that. Um, And also, Seattle was a pretty good offense. You know, they weren't Miami or Detroit. They averaged about five runs a game. Um, You know, they're in last place, but not because of their offense. So the move to New York will be nice because of the lineup in the ballpark. But... Even the lineup could be a little bit of a double-edged sword. Um, you know, you just mentioned the Yankees have so many options and moving parts. You know, Encarnacion's going to be the primary DH, but there are also going to be days when Aaron Boone wants to give someone like, uh, you know, John Carlos Stanton, Aaron Judge, Gary Sanchez a day off or a quasi-day off and use them as the DH. So it's possible, I, I would think in a normal, you know, six-game week, it's possible Encarnacion gets five games. That's still enough you know, opportunities for him to do a lot of damage in that lineup. But right now he's on pace for 45 homers. So again, you know, it's something that I would probably take the under on that number, you know, for the rest of the season. He'll still be very good, but I don't think we're talking, you know, about Edwin Encarnacion as someone who's suddenly a top 10 fantasy hitter. He's obviously very productive, but I just think this is not going to move the needle as much as some people might think. Yeah, and I'm kind of with you there because that's the first thing I did when I looked at it. Well, first, you made a great point because I didn't even realize. I knew he was having a good year, but in fact, he's leading baseball in home runs. says a lot about what he's doing this season. Well, I, I should preface. He's leading the American League in home runs. Still, I, that's, that's but still, right. pretty crazy. And that, But the first thing I did is I pulled up their roster resource page, and I started looking. I'm like, okay, you got Luke Voigt at first. You're not putting Voigt out of the way. Uh, right. You know, you, what, Stanton's supposed to come back Tuesday night. Uh, mm-hmm. Judge is supposed to be rehabbing. You start getting all these moving pieces, and you don't want all those guys playing the outfield, and, and Edwin can't play the outfield. He has to DH. So you really got to start thinking about how often is he playing five days a week, four days a week? Like, there's going to be a lot of moving parts. Yeah, that, I agree. That and that's kind of, it's kind of what we were worried about with Seattle at the very beginning of the season with their True. outfield slash first base slash DH spot. So it's kind of ironic that he's going to end up in a similar situation. I mean, obviously he's going to play more often than not, but, yeah, I think there's just going to be – a little bit of a, a rest, you know, where most DHs are going to play pretty much every day. I think he's going to miss a game or two a week, I would imagine. Well, and, you know, that, it, it, and we're talking about it from a fantasy impact, so that kind of stinks in that respect. But for a you know, Yankees team, when you look at a team that's already leading the division, they look like it's going to be tough to stop them from winning the division because they're doing this with, like, bits and pieces right now. Like, right. you know, your Shilla and company are, like, <laughs> running the show. And, like, they've yep. got Didi back. It's just – it's scary to think about what could come with these guys. Yeah, are. between Didi and Hicks and Judge and Stan and now E5, it's crazy. And I'm not a Yankees fan by any means. Like, it's just, it's scary to see how this all goes down. Um, it's just too well, bad none of them can pitch. 
<laughs> yeah, I don't need that. That Severino, that could be a whole other discussion for another day. That's a right <laughs> a shame. There. At least Tanaka's pitching well tonight as they're going right now. Um, that's a good start. But yeah, I, I think they need to make a move in that respect, and that'll make things dangerous, really dangerous. Like, go take Mad Bum from my Giants. Give me a couple prospects. Take <laughs> Mad Bum. I'll be all for it. Go for it. Um, let's talk about a couple, I kind of maybe parts of this trade. First off, Clint Frazier gets uh, sent down and yes he's been struggling of late he was tearing it up early and he struggled quite a bit and it's just weird because he's never really met that pedigree that we uh, were hoping to get with mm-hmm. Clint Frazier a guy that they really wouldn't trade be- and at the same time he hasn't really been productive in the bigs how do you think this affects Clint Frazier do you think maybe it's like okay now they're just gonna they're gonna have to ship him off because it's not gonna work anymore or what do you think they're gonna do with a guy like Clint Frazier I think long term it could work, but you know, like you mentioned, it's a situation where they just have so many players. I kind of think he's always going to be stuck behind other, you know, veteran players. So I do think at some point, I wouldn't say a move is imminent as far as trading him goes, but I think it's more likely than not at this case. Yeah, and then the other the other part that's fun is you mentioned it with the the Mariners. There's always kind of this moving part. I guess for all those Vogelbach fans we don't have to worry too much anymore. Like this should be Vogelbach's deal. I haven't looked too much into the, the other kids they're going to be bringing up to play there, but this is a good sign. Like, are, are you thinking maybe Vogie gets to see a lot of time versus lefties now, or are there any other thoughts on that? I think so. I mean, they've been, pr- they've been playing him a lot and you know, point, there's no reason not to, I mean, they're in last place. They're not really going anywhere. They've already traded off Bruce and, and Carnacion. Um, you know, he did DH against the lefty uh, tonight, or he is DH against the lefty tonight, I should say. So, yeah, I think they're going to give him pretty much every opportunity to, to succeed. Yeah, and it'll be fun to see where the Mariners go with this because there's already rumors of, like, D. Gordon's on the block, and we know how dealing DePoto likes to work. So there's going to be a lot oh, more yeah. moves coming up there. Definitely. We'll, we'll make things quite, quite interesting, but uh, time will tell on that one. Let's go to L.A. I, I mentioned it briefly on the last episode as it kind of went down Nothing official yet. We kind of speculated from initial reports, but it's official now. Corey Seager has a grade two, mild grade three hamstring strain, which is bad, like bad, bad. We're talking <laughs> four to six weeks, possibly more. Like you never really know how a muscle's going to heal. This could be terrifying just for the fact that Seager was finally playing so good. You know, in draft season, there were so many guys like praising him for the value and other guys wanted nothing to do with him. I was in the nothing to do with camp. I was about to take the L on him. Now i got to sit back and wait and see what happens next. But this is really, really devastating news for uh, Corey Seager owners out there. If you're a Corey Seager owner, I don't know if you can drop them, but this is one of those that four to six weeks could turn into six to eight weeks. You never know. What are you trying to do with Seager? Do you try to buy low on him? What's your thoughts on this? Well, let me tell you, I think I might be the wrong person to ask because I kind of hate Corey Seager, at least for fantasy purposes. So I don't don't think you're taking the L on that one. I mean, I'm sure, you know, he's a, he's a nice person and all. He's a very good real life player. I mean, he led all shortstops in war for a couple of years, which is cool. But for fantasy purposes, I just don't think he's very good. I mean, you know, I, I mentioned I do the rest of season rankings. And for at least a month, I've had Seager outside my top 20 shortstop. And, you know, a couple of people have asked me about it, but I just don't think, I think there are a ton of shortstops who are putting up really good numbers and doing so in a bunch of different categories. And Seager just doesn't really fit that bill. Um, he's not in the top 10 among shortstops in any fantasy category. 
He's a very good compiler as far as runs and RBI go. Um, and I get he was working his way back to, you know, health and he was being productive and all that. But, you know, in the, it's in the middle of June and he's got eight homers and one steal. Freddie Galvis has 10 homers and two steals. Orlando Arcia has eight homers and three steals. You know, I'm not necessarily saying that I would prefer those guys over Seager, but it's also not as if Seager is considerably better than them either, at least not in my opinion. So I think you know, if you have Seager, he's probably not your starting shortstop, at least I wouldn't think so. So he's probably more your middle infielder, you know, depth type player. So I wouldn't mind cutting him and, tr- and grabbing somebody else. I mean, I think you can grab somebody off the wire and probably get 80 to 90% of the production as your middle infielder. Um, so I really wouldn't have an issue with dropping him at this point, to be honest. I, I like that take because I, I have no arguments with that at all. A, I'm not a secret guy either, but it's just one of those injuries that scares me. Like, there's so many things that can go wrong with this. You rarely see a guy come back and he just picks up where he left off from an injury like this. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's weird. And so many moving pieces in, in LA with Dave Roberts and company, there's a lot of yeah, ways this can sure. go. By, and having to hold a guy like this for potentially two months – as we're getting closer to, you know, we're almost halfway through the season right now. Like it's there, you right? Two more months now. Now we're talking middle of August, end of August. We have one month of baseball when when they expand the rosters coming up. That changes everything. Like they could really yes. baby him coming back. At this so, point, yeah, he's probably missing more than half of the season going forward. And then, yeah, like you said, yeah. once September comes, especially by that point, the Dodgers are probably going to be twenty games in first place. So it's not as if they're going to need yeah. to rush him back or play him every day. So I would be fine dropping him. Yeah, so that makes it really, really interesting to see how that's all going to play out. But something to keep an eye on, and I'm, I'm with you. If if you can uh, if you can afford to drop him, and there's a replacement out there. I don't think it's the end of the world to tell you the truth. I think you might see guys go up in arms, and you might you might hear some garbage about it. But at the same time, you need to win now, and you can't hold a guy like that when you can replace him. So that's that's my Absolutely. two cents. Uh, let's talk about a, a guy again on my last episode. He was making his debut while I was recording. Jordan Yamamoto. I, I heard that. <laughs> I was very intrigued going into that start just because it was, you know, coming up from double A, it's the Marlins that's kind of half bitter because it wasn't Zach Gallon. And then Urania goes out for 60 days, at least for the rest of the year. But Yamamoto dealt seven innings, three hits, nowhere, and two walks, five Ks against the St. Louis Cardinals. A kind of, you know, sketchy St. Louis offense, but he pitched really well. Not great. You know, the XFIP had him for 482. He didn't give up a run. But there was a lot you could you could take away from the start, good and bad, probably. What's your thoughts on a guy like from, you know, very small sample coming up from double A, never spent an inning in triple A, but he almost made the staff out of the, out of the spring training. So it looks like he's got a chance to stick for a while. We'll get, we'll, we'll see how much he was taken for in, in TGFBI this year. But what's your take on like Jordan Yamamoto kind of going forward for now? I think he's a fine pickup if you're in uh, fastest finger league without transaction limits and you can just kind of pick up the flavor of the week and ride him for a bit. But I don't know if he's going to have any staying power, or at least much staying power. His minor league numbers, like you said, were decent, but not great. Uh, his control isn't terrible, but it's not elite, which I think is going to get him in trouble at this at this level. Um, and you just never really know what the Marlins are going to do. I mean, I know you guys talked about it on the last episode as far as how they like to manipulate service time and stuff like that. And we know that you know Caleb Smith is supposed to be back. They're saying possibly this weekend, so there's always the possibility uh, that he gets sent down another week. And like you mentioned, you know they could also call up Gallon. Um, and obviously with the Marlins, there's very little win potential. So even if Yamamoto sticks, I don't necessarily see him as an every-week guy either. 
And, you know, when it comes to Marlins pitchers, there's not a ton of matchups where you're going to stream them with. You know, the guy like Lopez or Smith has proven that they can, you know, do good against elite lineups. But I just don't – I wouldn't trust Yamamoto in many situations. Yeah, and that's kind of where I'm looking at. He's not really overwhelming. Never had a 10K per nine type deal. It's just – it's tough. Like, I could see it being interesting. He's going to be a kind of a spot starter type guy, I think. And in the landscape right, of pitching these days, that's that's valuable. There's no sugarcoat in that. Pitching in Miami right. doesn't, doesn't suck. So, but yeah, I'm with you. It's not like go – don't go break the bank. Don't go crazy on it. But it's interesting. Like, it's not on the island. We've got a guy like Dylan Cease should be up any day now. I'm pretty sure yes. you'll agree – You'd rather go get Dylan Cease. Absolutely. And like I said, with the Marlins, you know, if you're playing in a in a quality start league, Yamamoto has a little bit more value, but in leagues with wins, it's just gonna be such a crapshoot with the Marlins. Yeah, definitely. When a team might win sixty games total on the year, it's tough right. to get those wins. <laughs> uh, let's, let's talk Cubbies, their ace, which is weird to say Kyle Hendricks, their ace at the time for now at least, goes on the 10 day IL with right shoulder inflammation. That is not good, Bob. That's just not good how you look at things. Um, he's pitching really, really well this year. I haven't seen the, the major details. They're acting like it's no big deal, but right shoulder inflammation is not good. Uh, what's your take on Kyle Hendricks and the Cubs right now? I am very bummed about Kyle Hendricks on the Cubs. <laughs> um, you know, he struggled a bit early, but he has been so good ever since his first three or four starts. Uh, prior to his last game, which is the game you know before, before he got hurt, he had an ERA right around two for a span of like seven or eight starts and a whip well under one. Um, he even threw in some decent strikeout totals, which is something he's not really known for. And like you said, the, the concerning part is the injury itself because they're being kind of vague, which, you know, you just never know how that's going to play out. But the fact that it's just, it's a shoulder injury is very worrisome. I mean, we kind of have to just wait and see how it plays out as far as, you know, the next couple of weeks. But, you know, he's somebody who's not lighting up the radar gun anyway, so it maybe it won't affect him as much as somebody who's trying to hit 98, 99 miles an hour. But still, like you said, shoulder injuries are, are never good. Hopefully it's only like a you know two- or three-week deal. He can come back around the All-Star break and, and pick up where he left off. Yeah, the good thing he's not a, a terribly hard thrower. He's more of a finesse guy, so that exactly hopefully helps the things there. Uh, let's go to a guy that does throw pretty hard for the New York Mets, Thor. Must be his yearly tradition, like any other. Let's go to the IL. <laughs> got a 10-day IL. He left the game with a hamstring injury. He's on the IL. Robinson Cano's back for now until he runs or doesn't run to first. We'll see. But <laughs> um, Noah Syndergaard, back on the IL. He's having a rough season. Like, I know he left the game with a hamstring injury, so i got to believe it's a hamstring injury. But part of me almost wants to say, like, this is a 10-day get-your-head-right situation because something's not right there with Noah, Noah Syndergaard. But just in general, like, what's your thoughts on him going forward this year? Because it's not like you drafted him, you're not going to bench him, but it's really hard to start him right now. Well, that's the thing. I mean, like you said, you can't really do anything with him. At at worst, he's probably your SP2. I mean, I can't imagine, you know, he went in the top, you know, 10 or 15 of most drafts. And, you know, the potential is always there. I mean, he'll have the game like he had against, you know, Colorado a couple weeks ago where he gives up one hit. And he'll just be dominant. And then other times it's just a mess. And I don't know. It's very baffling because this is somebody who should be, you know, we always talk about a lot of people talk about how, you know, Garrett Cole is like a maddening pitcher to own because he'll strike out 12 guys and then give up four runs. But 
at least he's striking out the 12 guys and Syndergaard's not even doing that. I mean, he has one game of 10 strikeouts this year. Everything else has been in the single digits. His K per nine is actually under nine, which is, which surprised me when I saw that. Um, and, you know, he's only averaging a little over six innings a start. He's just not, I don't know, something is off and it, maybe it is, maybe it is kind of a get your head right kind of deal. Um, and, you know, like you said, you can't really do anything with him. You just kind of have to ride it out and, and hope he figures, he figures it out. But it's getting a little late for that at this point. I mean, you know, he's been in the league for a few years now, and at some point he's got to kind of get it going to what we yeah. all think he should be. And that's the frustrating part. It's like we know how good he can be. We've seen the streaks where he's just lights out dominant. But like you're saying, this year it's just weird. He's not really dominating. Caper nines low, like you're saying, and – in the, in the old days, even when he was getting hit hard, it was like it was like when Verlander or Cole, they'll give up a whole run or two, but they're going to strike out 10-plus guys, and they're going to make you look right. foolish for seven-plus innings. Syndergaard's not doing that. He's, like, grinding it out, and it's just doesn't seem that he really has, has that put-away fastball like he used to. It just makes me wonder if, you know, even going back to last year, this is going to be just total dumb speculation, but, you know, when he had those arm issues and he didn't want to get the MRI and all that kind of stuff, what right. if there's really something wrong that's taken away? Like it just doesn't seem right. Whatever's happening here, but, but even last year when he was when he was going through that, I mean, he's still the K's weren't elite, but I mean, true. he had a three oh three ERA, and you know, it's pretty well supported by his FIP and XFIP and stuff like that. And he had thirteen wins, and true. this year it's just it's just not it's not happening. I don't know what it is. Yeah, it's 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 baffling, and uh, I know I've messed with the. Joey P about it because he's a Mets fan and he gets very frustrated <laughs> with it. But uh, it's weird because you got like, you know, pitching experts like that. I look at like Modica and pitcher list Nick Pollock yep. and those guys, they've wrote articles on this and they're trying to figure them out. And like, usually when they, when they break down the guy, they're all kind of on the same page. There's mixed opinions on this. <laughs> it's like, right. it's so over the board. That just shows you how goofy it is. Cause I respect all their opinions and it's, there's no clear cut answer right now, and I'm I really just wonder curious. at this point if it's kind of like a you know needs a change of scenery thing. I don't know. I, I'm kind of thinking that it's almost like as much as you don't want to deal him. I know he was rumored in the off season to be dealt. It's like, hey, you know, we'll give you ours if you give us yours. Like, let's just let's right. figure something out here. Let's, let's not try to screw each other on a deal. I don't want prospects. Like, here's Noah, and you give me something I can use now, and we'll just make it work. Like, we can trade him for Cliff Frazier. We just talked about him. <laughs> Honestly, didn't that wasn't that like a rumor last year? It was, yeah, it was. Yeah, they were talking about that, but I don't think that would ever happen. No, but I don't think nice. so either. That would be funny. That would be good. Maybe Johnny Lasagna and somebody. I don't know. There you go. But uh, yeah, so let's keep an eye on that. Really interesting to see the developments there. Uh, a couple guys coming back from injury. Justin Upton came back home on the first pitch he saw tonight off Edwin Jackson. Doesn't hurt to come back and face batting practice your first game. That helps. <laughs> But I know he's got to walk, and, and the, the Angels are just teeing off on the Blue Jays, as expected tonight. So he's back. Um, just any quick thoughts on you know him going forward? He's, he's a model of consistency year in, year out. But he's missed. This is his first game of the year tonight. Yeah, I'm a big fan. I know. I was going to I was gonna make the joke that it, his home run should come with an asterisk because it was against Edwin Jackson, but he beat me to it. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, I'm a fan. I mean, he's, he's, we're talking about a guy who's hit 25 homers in six straight years. Um, so, you know, figure going forward, I think he's a pretty safe bet for 10 to 15. You know, I was worried about the turf toe, especially I, I didn't think it was wise to have him have his first game coming back from turf toe in Toronto. But what do I know? But on the other hand, I think that, you know, kind of signifies that he's good to go. I mean, they already have Otani as their full time DH. So I don't think they would have brought him back up and back 
if he wasn't, you know, 100% fully ready to go. So, you know, the Angels offense has been pretty good so far. They're averaging just over five runs a clip. Um, and, you know, Upton is a guy who's usually in that, you know, I think last year he had 80, 80 runs, 85 RBIs. So if we, you know, cut that in half even and say, okay, you could have 40, 45 RBI going forward. I think that's a pretty fair number to project. I mean, obviously the average won't be super high and he's probably not going to run, but he's always been a reliable fantasy outfielder. And I think he's, you know, he's obviously worth starting. And I think he's probably, I I put him somewhere in that 20 to 30 range of outfielders going forward. So, you know, he's definitely should be a consistent part of your lineups. Yeah, I agree with you. I think the fact that it took over 70 games to bring him back from turf toe, I think he's uh, he's got to be pretty darn 100%. Like, they weren't – they didn't rush him back. He probably could have come back a little while ago if they, need, if they needed to rush him back. So, I think that says a lot there. And this offense is interesting. Like, by no means am I saying the Angels are going to win the West, the, the Astros division to win. But it just makes things more interesting. I got They might sneak into making the wild card interesting or something. The pitching staff's still kind of a mess. But that offense is actually really, really good now. So – That'll be something to keep in mind there. Try this 20th home run of the uh, the season tonight. A couple of other guys coming back. Um, uh, Giancarlo Stanton supposed to come back on Tuesday. Justin uh, Aaron Judge is rehabbing. He'll be back maybe at the end of this week, if not early next week. So the Yankees get stronger. We already kind of hit on that one. Mm-hmm. The other ones are the Astros. They're big boys. The fact that they keep doing what they're doing with no Correa, no Altuve, no Springer. Well, it looks like all of them are about to start rehabbing here pretty soon. So in about, you know, maybe one to two weeks, they'll have all their big boys back. That's good. But what do you think that does for the the youngsters like Fisher, who's playing really well? I'm not worried about really straw on those guys, but, you know, Jordan Alvarez playing really well. There's a lot of guys that are producing, and we got to find a home for them, or do they go somewhere else? I think Alvarez is pretty safe um, at this point. I, I wonder what they're going to do kind of lineup-wise. A couple of us were talking about that on Twitter the other day, trying to figure out where he would fit in in the optimal lineup. And I honestly think he can he can probably – he has a shot to stay at three or four. I think probably more likely five or six. But in that lineup, five or six is like hitting three or four in a lot of lineups when they have all True. their parts. So I think Alvarez is going to be fine. I think Fisher is probably going to be the odd man out as far as that rotation goes, but I think, you know, I think Alvarez is pretty safe. And obviously we saw with the, uh, the fab bids last my, night that yeah, people are buying in, in a big way. <laughs> yeah. We're going to have a lot of fun with that one because yeah. uh, for those that are new to the show, I really enjoy seeing the differences in prices. And I, I know every league's and that's why I love the, 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 the exercise we will do. Is the differences from league to league because guys get frustrated when they don't win a bid. And it's like it's just because your league. It's like it's totally dependent on league to league, right? But like I was seeing even like draft champions leagues and main event leagues, not even just TGFBI. Mm-hmm. I saw them going for like 140 bucks, 260 bucks, like low bids, high bids. It was different everywhere. So it'll get interesting. We'll get to that here pretty soon. Uh, last piece of news here: the Rangers have a couple injuries. No more Mazar is going to get an MRI. I have not seen his results yet. But Hunter Pences came in. He got put on the 10-day IL, right groin strain. That sucks. He's having a pretty good year, and they probably want to keep playing him to trade him. Bright side, Willie Calhoun came back. He got activated, which I did not see that one coming. So Calhoun's back. He's batting fifth tonight, right back in the lineup. We love seeing him up there. He's part of that Fabapalooza we saw earlier this year. A couple takeaways here. Hunter Pence, what are your thoughts on him? Because he's really crushing it, but 
a groin injury, maybe a trade. What are your thoughts on him going forward? Yeah, the Pence injury is a bummer because he's another guy like Clint Frazier we were talking about with those waiver wire gems who end up making you look like a genius. And, you know, Pence has really just turned back the clock. I mean, he's a guy who's on pace for 30 homers and 100 RBI, which is nuts. He's never even hit 30 home runs in his career. I think he's driven at 100 once about six or seven years ago. So it's a bummer because he's been so good. But with this injury, there's two concerns. First and foremost, we don't know exactly how long he's going to be sidelined. And beyond that, like you alluded to, I just don't know if the playing time is going to be there when he returns. Um, As far as a trade, you know, Texas is still in the hunt. So that's good news because I don't think they're going to make a point of playing their young players over their veterans. But like you mentioned, Willie Calhoun is back, which I did not see coming either. And it's funny because um, in one of my NFBC online leagues, I went to go set my lineups when I got home tonight and I saw that the, you know, the little, uh, the little you know red cross thing was not under willie calhoun's name and i thought that was strange and then i looked and saw that he was in the lineup and i said oh that's good to know (laughs) so yeah uh, well that's what i was thinking real quick is i didn't really find out about it until just barely before lock i can only imagine if i came home and lock happened and i saw that i would not be happy no yeah it was just it was just kind of luck that i just caught it and was like well that's kind of strange um, but we saw what Calhoun was capable of in limited action a few weeks back. So if he picks up where he left off, you know, he's going to earn some more playing time. I know you mentioned Mazar, and we'll get to him in a second, but he's obviously a full-time player. You know, you have Joey Gallo who's coming back, and then, you know, other pieces like Sinshu Chu and Danny Santana even, who will probably play as well. So I think that Pence could very well be a part-time player when he returns, which is a shame because of how good he's been. Yeah, because everyone kind of thought that's what he would be going into the season, and then due to injuries, he right. took advantage of playing time and he ran with it. And I'm, I'm, I would be pretty confident they're trying to to trade him. I thought Philadelphia would be a really good spot for him, actually, uh, go back home. But uh, with this injury, it'll be interesting to see how it comes back. Yet Norman Rosara again, still waiting on his MRI results. But this is a guy that's still really young. He's in his mid twenties. The you know you look at his stat cast numbers, and everything points to this guy that should be so much more than he is. And he's still really good, but the hype train's almost, you're expecting, you know, maybe a 30 home run guy, not a 20 home run guy. What's your just overall thoughts on Nomar Mazar? Because again, he's still very good, but he's not really doing what fantasy owners expect from him, if that makes sense. Mazara is very frustrating to own. And people are going to think I'm nuts, but he reminds me of Christian Yelich. You know, like you just said, see that late bloomer kind of, yeah. Yeah, he's still 24 years old. And, you know, let's not forget that before last season, Yelich's career high in homers was 21. Oh, yeah. Which seems hard to believe when you watch him hit a home run pretty much every single day. Um, But prior to him being in Milwaukee, he was a hitter who hit way too many ground balls and never tapped into his power. And Mazzara, to me, has a lot of those traits. He doesn't have quite the hit tool that Yelich has and obviously doesn't run. So he's never going to hit 30, 330 with 30 steals like Yelich is threatening to do. But I do think this is a guy that has power potential and he just hasn't fully gotten there yet. I really think that one day he's going to figure it out and be a 30, 35 homer guy. I just don't think it's going to happen this year. So for redraft purposes, if he ends up going on the IL, you know, I wouldn't say you have to cut him, but there are going to be other options. I think for now, you know, he's still going to be in that 
low 20s range as far as home runs without much else. He'll put together some runs and RBIs just because he's sitting in the middle of a good lineup in a good ballpark. And with power around the league the way it is, he's he's kind of just a guy. I mean, even if he hits 25 home runs with 80 RBI, there are a lot of guys that can do that this season and are doing that this season. So, yeah. and he's a starter for fantasy purposes, but he's probably a low end starter and he's just not very exciting to own. But I, I do think at some point, you know, two, three years from now, he's going to have like a 34 home run season. We're all going to be blown away by it. And we probably shouldn't be. Yeah. I'm hundred percent with you. I know it's coming. Like every year I want to draft him. It's just so frustrating at times, but it's coming in the town. I think so there. too. It's so true. And that's the biggest thing, as you said, it, and, and I, I keep trying to remind people is he's still super young, like really, really young. Like we talked about baseball, and it might change in the era we're in now with the juice ball and just player development in general, guys coming up earlier now. But he used to always be like 26, 27, 28 was kind of your your go-to. And people forget, like I said, he's 24. He's been up for three or four years already. Like we got him early. He's still developing his swing and everything. So, you know, just let him hang out with Joey Gallo a little longer. I think things okay. <laughs> I think he'll show him the way. Um, well, I mean, you know, just to your point about the breakout thing, we've been waiting for – Byron Buxton to break out for four years now. And he's yep. another one. He's 20, he's 25 years old. He's finally having the season that we expected, you know, three, four years ago. So yeah, sometimes with these guys, it just takes a little while. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a different adjustment period for some of these guys from where they came from to where they are now. So definitely things to consider there and it will come. Let's go to the bullpen. Your recent uh, bullpen report for fantasy week 13 over on fan tracks, HQ, deliver depth charts and closer rankings. I'm just going to kind of scroll through. You haven't broken up by division. And I was going to ask you a few questions on kind of the sure. hot button ones. And if there's anything I'm missing, you just let me know. But I do want to start in Baltimore. Michael Givens, he started the year as the guy. It was disgusting, but so was a lot of Baltimore <laughs> in general. He's back. Like, he's pitched really, really well since he kind of earned his way back up there. But still kind of a revolving door, and Baltimore's just not that good. So what's your take on Michael Givens uh, right now, or at least going forward? Well, you're right. He's not very good. And I feel like when it comes to some of these guys, it's like as soon as I say something nice about them, they blow up. So, you know, last week I'm like, okay, Givens is going to be the closer again. And then yesterday he blows a save and gives up four runs and looks terrible. Like he did a few weeks ago when he got demoted in the first place. So there's really not much to see there. You know, like you mentioned, Baltimore is terrible. And Givens is not much better. I mean, he's been the full-time closer for most of the year. I think he spent a week or two in middle relief. But even with being the pretty much the full-time closer, he's got like six saves. So, you know, there's not much value in what he can offer. You're basically hoping for like a save a week and for him not to crush you ratio-wise. So the problem is there's really nobody that's any better. You know, Sean Armstrong is – decent he's he's pitched pretty well but again it's nothing that's gonna move the needle as far as fantasy goes all right tampa bay this one's tilting to me and i know you've probably heard this from many people here but jose alvarado i loved i drafted him and he's really really good i i I have a hard time dropping him but is he really worth holding on to right now well that's a good question and honestly with with the off-field stuff that's what kind of makes me nervous. I did see today that he's back in the U.S., so they're going to you know, give him a couple of rehab outings, and then he'll probably join Tampa you know, in another few days, maybe a week. But I, I just don't know where his head's at. I mean, I don't know the specifics of the situation he's dealing with, but you know, it's got to be something that's 
weighing on his mind. And, you know, you kind of wonder if that's the kind of thing that has caused a little bit of the downturn in his numbers lately. I mean, you know, as much as we like to think these guys are robots, you know, they are people. And I just wonder, like, whatever was going on, he was so dominant the first month of the season. And ever since then, he's kind of fallen off a cliff. And I just I just don't know. I mean, I, I wouldn't drop him either. I have him in a bunch of leagues, and I'm not dropping him. But I had him on the bench last week. I had him on the bench this week. I just don't know how you can trust him. And it's tricky because Diego Castillo hasn't been any better in the last month. So it's frustrating because there is opportunity for Alvarado to kind of seize the job back, and it's just not happening. And I just wonder, you know, if we don't see – him kind of pick it up before the all-star break. I wonder if you're just looking at a guy who's just kind of, you know, going through the motions and, and pitching in, you know, middle relief one day, sixth, seventh inning, and then the next day he's closing. And it's just, it's not fun to own him at this point. Yeah, and that's kind of why I can't get rid of him because I know the talent level's so good. Yeah. Diego Castillo's not running away with it. It's just one of those, like, if, if they really wanted to, they could flick the switch and he could get you 20 more saves by the time the season's over because Tampa Bay's going to be in a lot of ball games. So yeah, I, I said before be the there. season, I said before the season that Alvarado would be a top five closer, and I looked really smart for about three weeks, and then that kind of started out like guns <laughs> of blazing. <laughs> exactly. I was with you. Uh, let's go to the AL Central real quick. Kansas City, Ian Kennedy, like we saw a, ble- a a brief spot of this early in the season when he he closed out a game. They said he'd be part of a committee, then it kind of disappeared for a while. Well, now he kind of is back in this role. What are you doing with this Kansas City thing? I know Ian Kenny was added a lot this week. What are you doing here? I think it's legit as far as a an average pitcher on a bad team is legit. I think he is the closer. I don't think this is a committee. I don't think Peralta or Boxberger or any of those guys is threatening. Kennedy's been pretty much used primarily as the closer for a couple of weeks now. So I think you can add him you know, if you're desperate for saves or that sort of thing, obviously he's not going to blow anyone away and being on the Royals, he's not going to have a a week where he gets four saves. But if you're looking for somebody just kind of plug in there and, you know, hope for a save or two a week, there, there are worse options out there. So I actually don't mind picking up Kennedy. All right, let's go to Minnesota. This one's tilted a lot of people. Trevor May is good. Blake Parker has been really good. Taylor Rogers has been really good. Taylor Rogers currently getting the job done, but it's still kind of a, a revolving door there. If you had to approach the Twins closing situation, how would you go about it? Well, it sort of depends on what day of the week and I think how Rocco <laughs> Baldelli slept and what he had for breakfast because he's like, I think he's worse than Gabe Kapler as far as changing his mind every other day. I think at least nice. Kapler is kind of settled on uh, Naris at this point, but. As far as the Twins, like right now, I think it's Rodgers. You know, two weeks ago, I thought it was Parker. But last week, we saw Parker pitch a game in the seventh. And Rodgers, he was held out of a couple games because of some back stiffness. But even during that time, Parker wasn't really pitching in the ninth. And now Rodgers is. And I think Rodgers is more talented than Parker. So I think he's got a little bit of a lead. And... He, he has the talent to kind of take the job and run with it. He was dominant in the second half last year. So if he can tap into that, I think he can save a lot of games for, you know, a Twins team, which is kind of running away with the division at this point. Yeah, I'm 100% on board with you there. Let's go to the AL West where it's pretty darn interesting. The Angels just got rid of Cody Allen. 
Hansel Robles has been uh, putting it together pretty nicely in the back end. But Ty Butchery has been great out of the bullpen. Cam Madrosians, he's pitched great out of the bullpen or as an opener. Cam was once a, a potential closer a couple years ago. Lots of moving pieces there in Anaheim. We just talked about their offense. Let's talk about their, their, their closing situation. Do you think this is Hansel Robles is going forward, or do you have more of an interest in maybe a Butchery or a Cam Madrosian? I do think it's Robles' job. He's another one, you know, I kind of try to pay attention to the usage, and Robles is getting virtually every save opportunity. I think I mentioned last week that since the beginning of May, Robles has seven saves, which is probably now up to eight or nine, and nobody else on the Angels has more than one. So this is not a situation where they're going back and forth. Um, This is basically a situation where Robles is the guy. The thing with Butchery is now – Butchery's probably a better pitcher, but this is another deal with Brad Osmus where, you know, he's kind of using his best pitcher in the high leverage situations, which is, you know, for fantasy purposes, it is probably the most frustrating thing we've had to deal with this season. And especially as someone who's trying to pay attention to bullpens and kind of project, it's just, you know, the, the days of using your best pitcher to only pitch the three batters in the ninth is you know, kind of slowly going away. So I think Buttery is fine if you're looking for strikeouts and, you know, maybe sneak in a, wheat, a win here or there. But if you're looking for saves, I think it's Robles, and I don't think it's going to change anytime soon. I like the sound of that. Let's go to Seattle, and this could change, obviously, with potential trades or whatnot. But right now you have Anthony Bass as the closer. Ronis Elias has actually had a few chances. Cody Garrett has some chances. Hunter Strickland eventually supposed to be coming off the IL I'd imagine he'd get the job back but you never know how are you approaching the Seattle situation that's probably gonna be changing quite a bit this year yeah this is a situation that's not pretty so as much as you know we're talking about Kennedy and even though Kennedy is not good I think he's probably the closer for at least a considerable future I have no idea how long Bass is going to be the closer I don't think his leash is very long I did add him for a couple of bucks in an online league last night, but for long-term purposes, I think, you know, he's not the guy. He's probably got another couple of weeks. You mentioned Hunter Strickland. I don't think he's any great shakes either, but I do think, you know, he was the closer before he got hurt. I think he's going to be the closer at some point again. Probably won't be till about the all-star break. Um, And you mentioned, you know, Elias and Brandon Brennan and gear and those guys are kind of in the mix too. So I think if you're super desperate for saves, you can try to add Bass, but it's it's a very short-term investment. All right, let's have some fun with the Texas Rangers. We just talked about some of their <laughs> offensive players, and they're they're an interesting team. They're not a good they're not a good winning baseball team. But fantasy wise, they have interest all over the board. And in the bullpen, you know, Jose the Clerk was lights out last year. One of the top guys. People loved him coming into the year. He got paid. He's already out of his job. Sean Kelly's in there. He's doing pretty well. Chris Martin's had moments. LeClerc, to me, I've always felt like it's his. he's going to get the job back. But how are you assessing the, the Texas bullpen right now? Well, I agree. I do think he's going to get the job back. It's just a matter of when. And to me, I, I think it was so close. There was a, a game a week or two ago where they finally pitched him in the ninth inning. I believe it was a tie game in the ninth. I don't think there was a save on the line. But it was top of the ninth tie game, which is usually when you bring your closer in. So I thought it was such a good sign that he was finally in that moment and he gave up two runs and lost the game. And then the next game he came in, I think it was in the eighth, and he gave up another run. So he was he was just about on the cusp of getting the job back, I think. And then he t- kind of took a, a couple of steps backwards. So 
I do think still the long-term plan is to put him in the role because, like you said, he got paid. Sean Kelly is Sean Kelly. So, you know, I, I would hold him wherever available because I do think by the end of the month he's probably the closer. But it's just – it's been such a long climb. I, I, I would have thought he would have the job back in a couple of weeks, and now we're looking at probably, you know, a couple of months by the time he gets it back. Yeah, I'm with you. I thought it was coming a lot sooner, but it didn't. Uh, let's go to the NL East. These can be kind of quick hitters. But uh, Luke Jackson pretty much got the job locked down in Atlanta, or do you see someone else sneaking in there? Uh, that's tricky because Luke Jackson is one of those guys that, you know, one day he'll come in and strike out the side on 12 pitches, and then the next day he'll give up three hits and a homer. So he's kind of – I think he's teetering a little bit. I don't think he is as safe as some people do. The only issue for me is that I don't know if the Braves have any other options, which, you know – That's what I was curious it, about. It would be a shame if, you know – there was somebody, a reliever, that they could have signed a month ago. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, they yeah, have... If only if. Yeah, if only if only such a player existed. But, um, you know, so they have Jerry Blevins, and they recalled A.J. Minter. And to me, well, they can, I, I think... They can always trade for Will Smith. That's always good, too. Well, that's... Yeah, we'll, we'll get to Will Smith, I'm sure. But <laughs> Yes, we will. <laughs> yeah, A.J. Minter, you know, him being called up makes me a little bit nervous about Jackson. I think I own Jackson in TF, uh, yeah, TGFBI. So I'm a little nervous about him because Minter did work. You know, he had better control in the minors, and that was his big bugaboo up here in the, in the majors. So I think he could be getting worked back into a closer's role, or at least a share of it at some point. You know, He was supposed to start the season sharing it with this uh, guy. You know. So I think Minter, to me, is worth kind of a speculative ad in deep leagues. I like that because I was big on Minter coming into the year. I kind of thought he was the guy and it didn't work out, but he's young and you never know. Closers are such volatile creatures. He could maybe get in there and shock us for a month or so. Um, you know, Edwin Diaz, I don't see any – he's been rocky, but I don't see anything happening there. You said Edgar Neris is pretty much built in in Philly, but you have next man up is Vinny V, and I've been a big Vinny V fan. You know, he's, he's off and on as a starter, but I thought he had such great late – into the bullpen type stuff because his fastball's electric. He's like a two-pitch guy. Do you think there's any reason to maybe spec bid on Vinny V? Or you said earlier, you think Kapler's pretty much locked in on Hector Neris right now? Well, I, w- I would never say he's locked in on anybody. That's true. We've seen, Good point. We've seen how he is. But but I think, you know, I- I'm actually pleasantly surprised with how he's used Neris in the last six weeks or so because I thought there would be a ton of flip-flopping back and forth, and there really hasn't. I think his... You know, to say he's going to be the guy the rest of the season, who knows, because he can falter and, you know, Kapler can change his mind. As far as Velasquez goes, like you mentioned, he's a two-pitch guy, which, you know, that type of pitcher always projects better in the bullpen than as a starter. But, you know, we just saw Eikhoff was sent to the bullpen. Velasquez is kind of getting a spot start here or there. So I, I think as long as he's kind of vacillating back and forth between starter and bullpen, I don't think he's going to all of a sudden be a ninth inning option. So I think Neris is relatively safe, at least, you know, as safe as you can be in Philly. Yep. I, I can understand that. Let's go to the NL central, the Cubs, they will be getting Craig Kimbrell back here very soon. So that makes things pretty simple in the windy city. Um, Milwaukee, Josh Hader has been outstanding. They're going to want to use him in the playoffs. They don't want to burn him out too much, but they're obviously going to keep doing what they're doing. What are your things? Of, what are your thoughts on Jeremy Jeffers going forward of maybe sneaking in and getting a handful of saves? He could definitely sneak in. Um, I think, you know, Hater at this point, he's kind of the guy who's 
a, a swing guy, but he's really a closer because they'll do what they did last night and they'll just have him pitch the eighth and ninth inning like it's no big deal. So on a night like tonight, you can see Jeremy Jeffries come in and kind of vulture a save. And I, I would expect that to happen, you know, a few times going forward on nights after Hayter pitches, you know, two, two and a third, something like that. It's going to be tricky, though, because you're never really going to know when that's going to happen. So if you plug in Jeffress in a weekly league, you just kind of have to hope that a save opportunity presents itself after Hayter has just thrown 35 pitches. And it's it's very difficult to forecast. You just kind of have to play him and hope he gets a save at some random point in the week. Yeah, for sure. Uh, St. Louis, Jordan Hicks kind of scuffling a little bit here and not nearly as lights out as he once was. If there's like a plan B, because, you know, there's Andrew Miller who hasn't been great. There's Carlos Martinez. There's a lot of guys in that bullpen. If you had to speculate right now in St. Louis for like a, a secondary option, where are you going? Well, I kind of like John Gant personally, but he's another guy that's kind of in that swing role. I think the other day he pitched three innings, which, you know, that's not something that a lot of closers are going to be doing. So I wonder, we did see Martinez get the save the other night. So I think, you know, I'm kind of going back and forth between Gant and Martinez. I think Gant is going to give you better ratios. Um, but I think it's it's kind of 50-50, but I wouldn't be surprised to get Martinez, see Martinez get, you know, six, seven saves the rest of the way. Yeah, a lot of people use that name out there. I think it's very, very interesting. Let's go to the NL West. Uh, Greg Holland's actually been really good. Archie Bradley opened the other day, so that makes things real interesting in Arizona. And he but, did not uh, do a very good job at that either. No, that's just been a messy situation. <laughs> Colorado's Colorado. Uh, Kenley Jansen, if he's if he has a day's rest, he's fine. I saw that stat the other day, which was really interesting. Not on a yeah. day's wet rest. Uh, Kirby Yates, he's been outstanding. There's always the chance the Padres deal him like they dealt Brad Hand. If for some reason the Padres deal Kirby Yates, and we want to start speculating on a closer, who are we speculating on? I think it's got to be Craig Stammen. He's the guy who's getting all the eighth inning work. Um, you know, he's been serviceable, not great, but he's he's gotten the job done. And I don't think they're going to trade Yates. At least I hope they don't. But if they do, I think Stammen would be the guy I would target. I like that. And then we'll end it up here with my Gigantes. It's just a rough go after a rough go. But Will Smith has been one of the better relievers in all of baseball this year. He's been very, very good. And he should fetch a nice penny uh, at the trade deadline, at least something to help the ball club. A lot of teams have mentioned Atlanta. We mentioned other teams. He should be gone sooner than later, assuming he's traded when he should be. I've always been a big Reyes Maranta fan. He's kind of struggled a little bit this year. I was telling someone the other day, Bochi, he's loyal. Like it wouldn't even shock me because that's Melanson get a shot. You're the guy that oh. focuses a lot more on this bull on these bullpens. Where do you think or who do you think should be the next man up? Can we please not see Mark Melanson close the game? I don't again? want to. I already hate seeing the Giants lose enough. I don't want to see blown saves too. Well, here's the thing is that I feel incredibly stupid because when it was draft season. I actually avoided Smith in a couple of spots because I was worried about Melanson. And now, like, two months later, that seems like the dumbest thing I've ever done. Um, but, yeah, as far as, as Smith getting dealt goes, I do think – I agree with you that, that Maranta is probably more of the prototypical closure of the future type. 
but his control is all over the place. He's got a 13.9% walk rate, and I just don't think that's going to play, you know, especially when you're in Coors Field facing the Rockies or against where the his, Dodgers. I want to know where his stuff from last year went. He was so good last uh, year. He just can't fight. Well, but, but even last year, the walks, I mean, I don't know. If, if the dominance True. was was there where he could kind of get away with it, whereas this not hap- that's not happening this year. I agree with that. But I don't. I just don't know. You know, guys who walk five guys per nine innings – you know, unless you're Chapman, it's probably not going to work out in the ninth inning. I mean, I hope it does because he does have great stuff. So I think, I think Moranta could get a shot depending on maybe they just want to see kind of where they're at with him. I think at least initially the Giants would probably go with Dyson, Sam Dyson. I know they've used Watson more than Dyson in the eighth, but I still think Dyson would be the better option. You know, he's not a dominant guy. He's got a career K per nine of like 7.2. But he did save 38 games in 2016. So, you know, he does have a little bit of, of pedigree there. So I think I, I think I would want to see Moranta, but I think it would probably be Dyson. Yeah, I'm with you there. Dyson's actually been surprisingly good. Like, uh, I know you mentioned he had all those saves in 16, and then he, you know, helps win a World Baseball Classic, and then he just forgot how to pitch in Texas. Right. He just <laughs> disappeared, and the Giants got him for basically free. And he's actually been okay. Like, there's signs of consistency from him, which I – we, many didn't think we'd see again. So I wouldn't be shocked, you know, uh, you know, give him a couple saves, flip him too. That's what the Giants are in the mood for right now. So that could be interesting be something to look out for. Before we move on from all this reliever talk, is there any specific names I might have missed that are like, you know, speculative guys you've been looking at or anything else that I uh, might have looked over? Uh, let's see. Well, if you're speculating, it, it's so tricky because it's, you know, we're trying to project close to the future, and half the time we don't even know who the <laughs> closes of presence on the present. So true. Is on some so of these true. Teams. So you know, it seems logical to assume that like Detroit will trade Shane Green. Yep. And if that happens, we all think that you know Joe Jimenez is going to be the guy to take his place. But are we even sure that Jimenez is any good? I mean, we've been waiting for like two <laughs> years for oh, him yeah. to overtake Green, and it's never happened. The guy's got a career ERA of like five point eight. Um, you know, it's not as if we're talking about some guy who's super dominant and is going to come in and set the world on fire. And, you know, Detroit and all these guys, these teams that are going to sell off parts, there's a reason why they're going to sell off parts because they're not very good. So even in a best case scenario, I don't think Jimenez is somebody, you know, listen, if Green gets traded, you're going to add Jimenez and you're going to hope for the best. But I just don't know how confident you could be about somebody like that. And, you know, as far as these other teams, you know, obviously Miami is probably going to trade Romo, but I don't have any faith that Tehran Guerrero or Nick Anderson are going to suddenly, you know, learn how to avoid bats. I mean, they both have really good stuff, but they're very inconsistent. I'd probably prefer Anderson over Guerrero because of that filthy breaking pitch. But, you know, again, it's the morons. How many games are they going to save? And then you have, um, and I think if Ken Giles – proves he's healthy in a couple of weeks, he could get dealt, uh, which means somebody like Daniel Hudson might be worth a speculative pick. But again, he's got, you know, a 5.22 FIP. So it's not exactly something that's going to inspire some confidence. Um, I think it would be interesting if Washington falls further out and trades Doolittle. I don't think that's going to happen because he's got a pretty club-friendly option for next next season. But, um, you know, there's a 
Tanner Rainey's been a guy who's who's pitched pretty well lately, and he could be somebody who's who benefits if they trade Doolittle. Again, I don't think that's going to happen, but you know, it's worth keeping an eye on if the Nationals fall further out. I think the most interesting place for me is I'm not even worried about a trade necessarily, but in Oakland, um, Blake Trinan Trinan has been terrible. And so has Lou Trevino in the setup role. I called him the uh, Trinan and Trevino traveling train wreck because (laughs) they've been, they've been abysmal for like a month. And I don't know. I, I don't think that Trine is going to lose his job, but, you know, stranger things have happened. He's the guy, you know, because when I kind of look at these things, I kind of see what they're looking at for next year. And he's got, um, he's arbitration eligible. So I wonder if at some point, if he keeps struggling, if they just don't kind of, you know, put him in middle relief for a while and kind of depress his value a little bit. So if something like that were to happen, I kind of think Liam Hendricks is a little bit interesting. Um, he's been more of their seventh inning guy, but he's pitched really well. He's pitched much better than trying and Trevino the last six weeks or so. So that's a situation where, you know, I wouldn't go saying unequivocally that this is going to happen, but it, it's kind of something that I'm paying attention to as far as, you know, what we can look forward to in the second half of the year. Yeah, that'd be an interesting one. Yeah, Trinan has been really, really rough. And, you know, from a business standpoint, that makes sense for the A's to be crazy, but it, it makes sense for sure. So. Everybody check out Mick's uh, bullpen report every week on Fantrax HQ. Really good stuff there to kind of give you a list of uh, guys' depth charts and everything to show you who's in the pen. Now let's get over to the TGFBI waiver wire fab report for the past week, week 12 action. Uh, Samada does his great job of wrapping it all up for us. And as usual, we'll go through through some of the big guys. We'll go through all of them. It's kind of the, the, the interesting names, but like, the guy you were just talking about, A.J. Mentor, he went in seven leagues as low as $2 to Tim Heaney to as high as uh, $41 to Matt Trussell. Tim Heaney, by the way, leading TGFBI. So there's some good spec bids. Uh, Adrian Hampson, we talked about him a lot in the last recent episodes. He went in six leagues. It was a rather quiet week overall, but um, Bo Bichette got snapped up. That could be a steal later on. Let's get down yeah. to Framber Valdez. This is an interesting one to me. Talked about him a lot lately. He went for $26 League 18 to Benjamin Passenkoff, as high as $75 to Brian Cummings in League 10. All over the board, but he's been outstanding. Another two-pitch guy, but he's been really good. What's your thoughts on Framber Valdez? He has been really good. I mean, you know, he had he showed some flashes last season, but, you know, for the most part was kind of up and down. He kind of outperformed his peripherals, but – there's there's something there, I think. I mean, you know, he's done a, always done a good job of keeping the ball in the park, uh, at least this year he has. And I think he can stick for a little bit. It's, it's so interesting. You know, we always talk about preseason. We're talking about Whitley and Josh James and these guys. I mean, the Astros just have so many guys. But I think Valdez could stick for a little while. And obviously on that team, he's going to have – great chance for wins and, you know, put up some pretty decent numbers. So I kind of like him as a, you know, you know, back of the rotation type option. I'm with you there. I'm a big fan of Framber, so I'm good with that. But we talked about Ian Kennedy. He went as low as $8 to Michael Pothauser in week 15, difference of $4 to the runner-up, as high as $102 to Ryan Owen in league four. But the crazy part was the runner-up is only $24 cheaper. So that league was <laughs> hunting for Ian Kennedy. Whereas the next highest guy, Colin Weatherwax in my league, good job, Colin, got him for 47 bucks. The runner-up was $3. Good job there, buddy. 
<laughs> yeah, that's, that's just a friendly jab at, at a good guy. But um, yeah, he, all over the board. Someone, the fact that it was one hundred two dollars in the runner-up bid was still quick math, like seventy-eight or something. That tells you right. how much that league wanted closing. But you hit on him already. Uh, Jacoby Jones is a popular one, but Jordan Yamamoto went for as low as two dollars to Tommy Yoon in League Twenty-One, as high as two hundred in my league to FSAA. That surprised me. Outside of that one, went as high as fifty-four to Chris Towers, a twelve-dollar difference from the others. Where would you have gone? We already talked about what our thoughts are on Jordan Yamamoto, kind of a streamer. Where would you have bid in TGFBI on him? Well, I don't have much of a budget left, so I kind of have to be a little bit, uh, <laughs> a little bit chintzy with how I use my uh, my dollars at this point because I made the wonderful decision to spend about thirty percent of my budget on you know Jason Hayward and Nikki Lopez and Freddie Galvis. So that shows you where my team's at at this point in the season. <laughs> But as far as Yamamoto goes, uh, I, I think I bid a couple of bucks on him. I didn't get him, but yeah, I don't. I think I think it was either a one or two dollar bid. I I wouldn't put too much too much stock in, in him going forward, to be honest. Yeah, most of the league there's like eight or nine teams. He went from anywhere from two to fifteen. Then there's a couple of high bids, so it kind of gives you an idea there. Uh, Kevin Newman of the Pittsburgh Pirates. You don't want to go too deep into this, but he went for as low as a dollar to Colin Densmore in League Seven and Brandon Myers in League Twelve as high as 25 to Eric uh, Floramonte in League 18, and no one else bid on him in League 18. So a lot of low bids. Some guys went high, some guys didn't. He's leading off for the Pirates. Adam Fraser is not anymore. I haven't looked a ton into Kevin Newman besides he's leading off and being productive, but not greatly productive. Do you have any thoughts on Kevin Newman? Well, you kind of touched on it. I mean, he's he's to me, he's kind of a guy. You know, he's leading off, which is nice, but I, I don't think there's a ton there. You know, the he can score some runs leading off and, you know, things of that nature, but he's never been a guy who he stole a decent amount in the in AAA last season, but he basically has no power. I don't think he's hit more than five or six home runs in any year. So I just, you know, he'll score some runs, he'll steal some bases, decent batting average, but he's not going to be anybody that moves the needle for me. Yeah, that was a, a tough one there. Uh, Tommy Malone has actually been sneaky fantasy viable of late. It's really weird. They've used the opener <laughs> for him, but he's actually been good. He's going tonight against um, is it Oakland. No, he's going against Kansas City tonight. So he's going to go basically as a two-start opener this week is how you're going to look at it. He went for as low as $2 in League 11 then to Ryan Fay and in League 17 to Carmen Malarano. I'm sorry if I butchered you. To as high as $23 in League 8 to you know, Saris. So not crazy high bids, but he was a popular ad this week. Do you have any thoughts on uh, Tommy Malone and how like the success he is having? He is having success, and it, it is interesting with the whole opener thing. Um, you know, I don't think he's going to be somebody that you know. I, I personally did not bid on him, and I, obviously the upside I think is a little bit limited. But you know, with pitching the way it is, you mentioned it earlier. I mean, pitching gets ugly when you get into streamer territory. So there are worse guys you can have. I mean, you know, he's got a he's got pretty sustainable numbers going forward. So you know, he's somebody that you could spot start here and there, but you know, I wouldn't go nuts or or overbid for him. But he's somebody you can use for sure. All right, the moment we've all been waiting for. This is going to be <laughs> fun. Jordan Alvarez, the lowest bid in TGFBI was League Five to Zachary Waxman. Got him for three twenty two. The runner up was three. 07. He went as high as 699 in League 15 to Michael Porthauser. 
the runner-up was 585, I believe. Matthew That's my league, suit. by the way. <laughs> oh, nice. Um, I was impressed. I'm going to plug my league real quick, League 2. My boy, Brock Ness Monster, got him for 606 bucks. The runner-up was 605 That That's was sick. Because, you know, that again, that's why we kind of do this is there's certain bids. That's why I was giving Colin a hard time because he outbid a guy for like 44 bucks for like Ian Kennedy. But that happens because you don't know. Like a lot of people said, okay, you can go bid 40, 50% on Jordan. And, you know, one league he goes for 322. If Brock doesn't bid 606, someone gets him for 605. Like it's that insanely different. It's so but, insane. But that, that's what makes it so much fun because, yeah, you just yep. never know how it's going to play out. Like in my league, so I had the league with the 699 bid and the runner up was 585, which, as you mentioned, the 585 would have, you know, wa- would have won like him in most leagues. leagues. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's just crazy how it works out. I mean, you know, you just never know. So, like in one of my leagues a few weeks back when we had the, uh, the Fab Again, I think I, you know, won a couple of bids by like five bucks and I lost a couple of bids by like, five or 10 bucks. And I felt kind of smart. Problem is that the guys I got with those bids were like Lopez Rogers and Calhoun, which, you know, has not panned out so far. So sometimes you might feel super smart if you barely outbid somebody and it, you know, doesn't always work out that way. And I'm not saying that's going to be the case with Alvarez because I do yeah. think he's legit, but you know, the, the bids are always fun to see how it kind of plays out. Yeah. So it's pretty wild. All these different ones and a lot of them, especially like the 500 ones and below, most of them, the difference in bids was like less than a hundred bucks, which tells you guys are in the same right. wheelhouse. The guys up top just had a bunch of the fab. They wanted to make sure they got it, which makes total sense. Like you're going for it, get your guy. Because yeah. the old, like, I'm not a big blow it on fab guy. If you don't have to, I get it. Like I was in on guys. I just never went above and beyond. Right. Um, with Jordan Alvarez, I could see the appeal because in reality, there's not too many more guys to spend money on this year. Like there might be some guys that come up and surprise you. You never know. But at this point in the season, halfway through the season, to get the production he can give you, it's going to be very hard to find. Very, Especially in a non-trade league, very hard to find. Absolutely. So the breaking the bank's going to be fun. Um, if you had, let's say, if you had, since six ninety nine was the top bid, if you had a $700 budget left in, in TGFBI, how much would you have bid on Jordan Alvarez this week? Well, my offense is terrible, so I'm a little bit more desperate than most. But I probably, you know, if we're looking at a $700 budget, I probably would have gone between 550 and 600. That's kind of where I was. I was thinking the 550ish range, give or take. That's kind of where my head was at, and obviously that would not have worked in my league. <laughs> right, me neither. <laughs> I, I, would have been, I would have been close, but that also would have given me over half the other leagues that would have wanted it. So. Really yep. cool exercise. Like, it's crazy to see how he went. I, I, I have a feeling Smata will do it. He keeps really good track of a lot of the data on these things. I'm curious. Yeah, he's amazing. I have no uh, – he's another one. I just have no idea how he does all this stuff. Yeah, no idea either. But I'm curious at season's end. And maybe I'll reach out to him and I can help him if I can. I'm not computer smart, though, so this is his thing. But all these big prospects we've seen, all of them, I'd love to see, like, a percentage value. Like, a, like the average fab money spent – how much value the actual return or something along those lines. Like who, what guy got the bang for your bucks? And maybe it's not just prospects, like overall fab bids. Right. Who was the best like bang for your bucks this season? Because there's always lessons to be learned in these processes. They might not be easy to find. They might not be that important, but there's always a lesson to be learned somewhere along the way. And I know last year he got like, I think he has Adderberto Mondesi he got for a buck. If you look at a tweet from way back when the reason he's in the Champions League, he nailed some fab bids, like insane bids. Yep. Man, it, it, there's really no rhyme or reason. Like we said, 
it's just one of those things that could be interesting. So any final thoughts on this past week's fab? It wasn't super active. We didn't have a ton to go over, but uh, a lot of kind of just minor fill in names, but the big one was Framber and a couple others there, but any final thoughts on those? Um, yeah, I think, I think, you know, we're kind of at the point in the season where most people have, have blown a decent amount of their budget. So I, I think it was interesting how much Alvarez went for, because I, I know I certainly didn't have the bankroll for that, you know, but it's interesting to kind of just see where the outliers are. Like, you know, Merrill Kelly went for 110 in my league, which I thought was insane, but you know, and you know, Jordan Lyles went for 52 in a league. So, you know, it's kind of different strokes for different folks, but I, I always think it's kind of interesting how these things play out. Yeah, it will be very, very interesting, but uh, that'll wrap us up this week, Mick. It's been a pleasure chatting with you before we sign off. Remind everybody where they can find you and what you got coming up over there at Fantrax HQ. Sure. Well, you can follow me on Twitter at the Mick23, and you can uh, check me out on Fantrax HQ. Got a lot of uh, good baseball content going on. Each week, I do the uh, rest of season rankings, and I also do the bullpen report, which we've obviously discussed quite a bit. So, yeah, check those out. And, um, yeah, we've got a lot of good stuff going on at Fantrax HQ right now. Yeah, go check it all out. Great guys over there and uh, great product they have going. And football's coming up around the corner. So lots of good stuff going over at Fantrax HQ and the leagues. The, the formats of the leagues are great over there. Super, super fan-friendly. So go check it all out. But, uh, Mick, thanks for joining me, man. I really appreciate it. And we will do this again sometime. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, my friend. I appreciate it. No problem, everybody. Go check him out on Twitter again at TheMick23. Mick Chalella, everybody. This was Ben Bubba, episode 180. Catch you guys next time. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.